0: What's going on? This is the Saturday On South podcast. I am Connor Guerra. Well, we got a great, great show lined up. First of all, if anybody hears any sort of differences in your audio, you're back in Louisiana, my friend. And Louisiana Will is a special Will.
1: Yeah, it's been fun, man. Um, my Power Man, my uncle, so Power Man is like Godfather in Cajun. They have like this Cajun camp. It's like straight out of Swamp People, dude. It's like on this lake. And they have a speedboat. They, like, you know, pull us in the tube. I sent Connor a video yesterday of my cousin just straight up catching an alligator with his bare hands. And, you, like, he said it. It's, like, you think it's going to be, like, a gimmick. Like, oh, we're getting near the gator. No, he grabbed that thing with one hand and caught it and just, like, handed it to Josh. <laughs>
0: and so, I... yeah, it's been – what's up? I just couldn't believe that the latter half of that video. I you think it's going to go one way, you think you, 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 oh yeah, you know, all right. I don't want to be too stereotypical. Assume the ending of this or something like that. You're probably just messing with the gator. No, no, no. Pick that sucker up by by his bare hands, and it was a baby gator. In his defense, but to have the you know what to do that, um yeah, can't say that I'm going to be stepping into that role anytime soon.
1: But yeah, we uh, it's fun, man. Our house down here is like giga haunted. <laughs> it's like full of ghosts and so like just coming down here is so weird I just think like how did I grow up like this and kind of become the person I am sometimes but I love it down here it's so peaceful there are billboards everywhere like oh this is the best time for Baton Rouge ever man there's like all the Gordon billboards there's like baseball national championships there's all a Kim Mulkey billboard like it's it this place has really come up since I left
0: Will is filling the Louisiana high. Absolutely love it. So we've got nothing but good vibes. A 4th of July episode for the people. So here's what we're going to do today. We got John Neighbors. He's going to come on, hop uh, hop on, talk all things Ryan Mallet, We're going to pay tribute to the late Arkansas quarterback, dig into a lot of things um, about his legacy and just a lot, not just Arkansas things, but kind of SEC-wide things, transfer quarterback things as well. And then we're going to talk about 4th of July horror stories and figuring out But first, speaking of 4th of July, if you've listened to this podcast for the last few years, you probably know the direction that we're going to go with this. Who is America's team entering 2023? Something that I love to do every single year. I think the conversation shifts. It changes. Shout out to my guy, Brad Crawford, who said America's team has to be one of the service academies. No disagreement on the fact that they are the best representatives for this country, but for this discussion, I like to add a little bit more context to the conversation. So that means that we are excluding service academies from this specific debate, or at the very least, we're saying who should also be considered America's team, because this is a free space in the bingo card. That's what this is, a team by the people for the people, maybe a little bit blue collar, but not necessarily the only thing that matters. You can't just be blue collar and have zero offense with a team who plays in 10 to 7 punt fests. Iowa was not America's team. I'm sorry. I love Farmers. I was not America's team I, uh, straight out of the Soviet union, brother. I need Rocky to just beat up the parents <laughs> all for it. Not going to stop it. Y- yeah. I mean, uh, you, you cannot be America's team. If you're in college football, hell, can we agree on that? I was in college football, hell's we outlined a few months ago. America's team is someone that anyone can rally around fun for all ages, a team that no matter where you are, who you're with, Or when you're watching, they are easy to root for. That's a key caveat. If you are too polarizing, you are not America's team. Everyone either loves or hates Notre Dame. They won't make the cut. Everyone either loves or hates Dion. So Colorado won't make the cut. A Mm -hmm. 21st century scandal isn't a deal breaker, but not all scandals are created equal. Like Tennessee is probably too polarizing to be America's team because the fan base and there's a lot of things that people associate with Tennessee still and you know I'm not necessarily here to hate on Tennessee but if we were just saying oh well, you know a scandal is what Jeremy Pruitt went through like no $60,000 worth of illegal payments to recruit from Jeremy Pruitt's wife is different than dozens of cases of alleged rape at the Baylor football program like what we had during those Art Briles years does that at least kind of make sense
1: Yes. And the funny thing about like the Tennessee situation too is I'm almost kind of like, which one? Because they had like the way that you know their AD stepped out, they had the whole Shiano thing. They have this. So they have enough scandals, I feel they're always about one step away from a scandal.
0: Speaking of Shiano, um, I think we need to be more than a decade removed from a scandal. To, to be considered a, a scandal of that magnitude, a very significant magnitude. I, I think you need to be more than a decade removed from that to be in the conversation for America's team. We're now just getting to a place where Penn state can be in the conversation, but I don't, and, and I bring up the Shiano thing because that's what Penn state, you know, that his involvement in, in, mm-hmm. in that whole deal was kind of what Tennessee fans were saying was the reason why he couldn't be hired. Not the fact that he just wasn't the head coach that they wanted to take over the program. Um, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't put Penn State in that conversation just because this is my list. I don't find James Franklin particularly likable, so they're probably not going to make the cut anytime soon. That's not a vendetta that That's I the have best part. I, I started to reconcile. I
1: was like, you know, with that scandal, like it's really bad. But I'm like, I don't even really have to think about it if I forgive that scandal, because I just don't like James Franklin. Yeah. Like, If that didn't happen, I still would not like Penn State because of James Franklin.
0: Yeah, James Franklin isn't for everyone, okay? Like, he's not. We talk about that all the time. P.J. Fleck, Shane Beamer's got a little bit of that. Not for everyone. They're for a lot of people. That's okay. Not for me. America's team can't be too good, okay? Can't be too good. I'm not going to sit here and advocate that everyone should root for a team who just won two national titles. And even a team with two national titles during the playoff era, like Clemson, probably has a bit too strong of a winning stench. Though, Dabo is trying to do the best he can to get rid of that uh, yeah. <laughs> still can not probably include Clemson in that America's team has to be somewhat relatable. It's not really fun to jump on like a, a bandwagon of a team that has more talent than everyone else. You know, America's team can't be super easy to make fun of as well. If we can do something as easy as horns down to dunk on you, I Like, mm-hmm. you sorry, you, you don't get to be America's team. Also, if your mascot is a no good bully who exists simply to hate on lovable dogs, like we've seen from that dumb steer Bevo, you're not America's team either. Does that no. all make sense? Do we have enough caveats to kind of, you know, to to kind of at least be able to map out some candidates here?
1: Yes, I would say Do you, they have to have a likeable head coach, I feel. That's the
0: only one I would say. It's a good point. Yeah, I think your head coach has to be it doesn't he doesn't have to be the most likable person on the face of the earth but he can't he's got to be at least yeah i think he's got to be somewhat fun there's a certain threshold that you have to be able to meet i think james franklin for what it's worth he meets the threshold for a lot of people he just doesn't for me based on my Mm -hmm. interactions with him based on the interactions that i've had to people that are close to him he's just not for me and that's Mm -hmm. perfectly fine that's okay. Um, there's a certain threshold. If you're like the most unlikable head coach, like I, I don't know at any point that Bobby Petrino would have been in the discussion to have America's team. I like not a lot of people seem to like Bobby Petrino. Great offensive mind, all those things. But yeah, that's that's a, a very fair point. Arp Riles is not taking over and suddenly having America's team. He's just yeah. not. That's that's probably reality. Okay, that's that's good though. That's a good final caveat. And I think everybody that I have listed here. I talk about their coach at least a little bit in in somewhat of their likability. So that's a good thing that I just totally forgot to include. So should we go through some candidates? Let's do it. All right. Let's start with the team who won last year's title of America's team, the Arkansas Razorbacks, of course. I gave them this title last year for a few reasons. As you mentioned, super likable coach. Played an offensive scheme that had modern concepts but was run heavy, so even your dad would kind of like it and like the smash Mm -hmm. mouth style of it. No real rivals haven't won enough to hate them. I think a lot of those things remain true, even though last year obviously disappointing for a team that was hoping to get to a new year six bowl. One disappointing season doesn't mean that you're suddenly unlikable. But I do think that they have opened the door for this title, and it's why we're having this discussion for a few reasons. Some would argue that losing Kendall Bryles actually makes them easier to root for. There's been a lot of Bryles talk in the first five minutes of this podcast. Goodness gracious, didn't Mm -hmm. plan on that. Um, I'll leave that one up to the eye of the beholder. The offense, we know, we've talked about this a lot, the transition to Dan Enos and what he's going to try and do. This team is not going to be quite as run heavy as what we knew the Kendall Bryles offense to be at Arkansas. So it's possible that this team is maybe a little bit less blue collar. They weren't blue collar on defense at all last year. Whatever, I, they weren't even white collar. They didn't even have a shirt by the end of the year, man. It was it was No terrible. shoes, no shirt, no service defense. <laughs> oh, God, that's what it was. Uh, Worst passing defense in America. You can be bad in an area and still be America's team, but being that bad in a specific area makes you hard to root for in a given fall Saturday, the weird late season Exodus that we saw it's kind of suggested that the good vibes turn bad. And I think the fan base started to feel some of that, but I still think that the hogs have a lot working in their favor. If seeing Sam Pittman smile, doesn't make you smile, you might be a robot. Okay. Like yep. still, in my opinion, not a more likable coach in college football than Sam Pittman. If watching KJ and Rocket cook doesn't get you fired up, you're either on the other side of it or you just don't like football. That's that's a you thing, not an us thing. And if you think that that the fan base is lacking passion or any of those things, tell me why all of them were still willing to show up and watch a Chad Morris team play football, okay? Yep. That's that's loyalty personified right there. I think Arkansas is going to have a spot among the candidates as long as Sam Pittman is there. He is the common denomin- denominator with all these things. Any pushback on Arkansas still at least being a candidate for America's team?
1: No, yeah, I think, you, I think you nailed that. And part of it last year, too, was like they weren't built to come back from these big deficits that the defense gave up. Like if they were like a – 2015 Drew Brees Saints team that's just like we're going to have 400 passing yards and we're going to win 45 to 43 we don't know which side of that score we're going to be on but that was why they were so disappointing last year is once they gave up a couple of touchdowns in a row it's like well they're going to run laterally <laughs> to, to try to make up for this so hopefully with Enos he does a little bit more ball control I just imagine him with these nasty play actions so I think it's going to be really fun to watch.
0: And also, they weren't a team that was built to stomach KJ going down. They just weren't. Yep. And and we had to find that out with the with Harold Perkins Day in Fayetteville. Although, mm-hmm. I think Malik Hornsby actually did some promising things. And you go back and look at some of the throws that he made against Mississippi State. It, it actually, their backup situation last year was, was perfectly fine. But you could really make the case this year that... There is not a more important player to his team's success than K.J. Jefferson. Like He would be the most devastating injury probably uh, of any player in the SEC just because the wins above replacement we talk about with him. So obviously we're Mm -hmm. talking about a K.J. Jefferson-led Arkansas team as being a candidate for America's team. Um, Okay, another one. Kansas. Clearly – I, I just love the Liberty Bowl last year. That's that's the only that's the only thing that can make it you. It was American
1: a great game. game. Let's be honest. If every game could be like that, college football would be the number one sport. See the
0: shining sea. It was a great stupid game. Will. it was. Mm-hmm. That game was so stupid. That oh, that targeting call on the mm-hmm. goal line oh, that still makes me mad. Like I, I I don't care. That could have been a middle school game with without any sort of rooting interest whatsoever, and I still would have been mad watching the way that that played out. But. Nonetheless, Arkansas still won that game against Kansas. Kansas had a moment last year during that 5-0 and start where we're like, oh, is this 2007 vibes? What's going on here? They were hosting college game day against TCU. Here's a crazy thought. Kansas at that time was number 19 in the country. And TCU, who obviously goes on to, to be the national runner-up last year, they were number 17. That was the second Saturday of October. And obviously, their season's going way different directions when Jalen Daniels got hurt, the Kansas quarterback. He is back, though. And in fact, Mm -hmm. we love the Bill Connolly percentage of returning production stat. We talk about that a lot. Will, any guesses where Kansas is in percentage of returning offensive production this year? I'm going to guess they're high based on that. Let's go like
1: 85. Wait, say that again. I said I'm gonna guess they're high based on like that.
0: So they're returning like 85%. Oh, 85%. I thought you meant like 85 in the ranking. Oh no. no, no. no, 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 no. I think they're I, I don't know the percentage offhand, but I do know the ranking. And the rankings one. That's there it. there you go. Yeah. Number one. I think it's like ninety-one or ninety-two, something like that. It's See, like really that, hot. but that's
1: such an insane guess. But it feels like everybody's kind of it's one of those teams that's just building something right now.
0: Very much so. Number one on offense and percentage of returning production. Number 10 on defense. Number two overall behind only Florida State, the ultimate uh, good vibes team this offseason. I think one of the reasons that Lance Leipold stuck around for year three is because he really liked the group that he brought back. The beauty of saying that you love Kansas Is that nobody in their right mind will tell you that you're being a Fairweather fan. Nobody's gonna say they still can't say that. They had a they still had a losing season last year, despite all those good vibes. Yeah. They sure did because they lost yep. Wow. He's awesome bowl game. Those six and six teams playing in the bowl game. Arkansas gets to seven and six. That was their first bowl game since 2008, Will 14 years. 14 years. They have now been to one more bowl game than Colorado in the last 15 seasons, though. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, the 2008 season, right, is like they fired Mangino and then,
1: um, they, uh, the Texas Tech did that with Leech. And it's like, you guys get a little bit too big for y'all's britches. Y'all didn't know what y'all had. Y'all probably should have kind of, I know there's like a lot more went into that, but it's just like, I think if both of those teams could go back, they would kind of restart that process and humble themselves a little bit.
0: Yeah. Cause I always forget they once, 2007 was obviously when Kansas was like a yep. thing. And go, into, yep. oh, the, and go into a BCS Bowl that year and how crazy that was. And then they kind of – like 2008, they actually followed it up with like a, a semi-decent year, and then mm-hmm. it really fell off a cliff after that. But, yeah, you're exactly right. Maybe it's going to be different with Lance Leipold, but think about this. They beat Oklahoma State last year in the midst of that downturn, in the midst of all that crap second half of the season that they had. They did have that Oklahoma State win. That was their first win against an AP top 25 team in 12 years. 12 years. That's so hard to do, to not just accidentally beat a top 25 team on a given day. Vandy did that last year. Like, yep. I mean, that, that is baffling to me. Kansas needs us. If Kansas... Wait, hold on, Connor. You know what that means when they beat Texas? It doesn't count because Texas wasn't ranked. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. Texas wasn't close to being ranked at that time. Yeah, when, that, when there was the... The the Applebee's NIL deal that was the the byproduct of that, the walk-off mm-hmm. winner from Kansas. Yes, Texas yep. was definitely not ranked at that time. No, they've they've had they've had as we've talked about before with the Texas being back conversation, Texas being ranked and late in the season. That that is just not happening. Thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Another great candidate and semi local for you right now. Semi local. What mm-hmm. about Tulane? What about Tulane as America's team? Little bit bandwagon-ish. I get that. They, they're they coming off the New Year's Six Bowl victory. Fully acknowledge that. But hear me out. To be America's team, you have to be someone that people will publicly show support for. Mm-hmm. If Tulane is America's team. Everyone gets an excuse to buy all of their gear on home field, which is money well spent. That is, that's the best, the best logo. If you're going to wear a team's gear randomly, Tulane is as good a bet as any in college football. It is great, but there's also the fact that they were really good last year and they should be really good this year. Michael Pratt still there as is Willie Fritz, who has to be the leader of the unsexy coaching candidate that shows up on every list of candidates for power five vacancies guy. That's him. Mm -hmm. Willie Fritz owns that title. I could argue that Tulane is actually currently holding the title of America's team as we speak. When they beat USC last year, (laughs) what neutral party was rooting for USC? Nobody.
1: Yeah, there's so much to hate there with Lincoln
0: Riley and USC. Unless you bet against them, you were rooting for Tulane to storm back in that game. And then sure enough, that's exactly what happened. I I think Lincoln Riley has somewhat quickly become a guy that people just like to root against because of the fact that he leaves Oklahoma for for La and people see the 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 house that he that he has all of a sudden and in this life that that he gets to live and there's this like and I, I don't want to Oh, and his brisket, great. Mainly <laughs> well, brisket. It's it's mainly more about the brisket than the thirteen bathrooms that he, that that guy has in his house. Yeah, for sure. But there's this. I don't know why, but there there is this unlikability that Lincoln Riley has gained in the last few years after he was kind of the darling. If you look back on on the the last three years, the 2010s, in which it looked like okay, this guy is next. He's in his mid 30s. This guy's going to win multiple national championships. And now we're kind of at that place where we're pushing back on that. And people who beat usc they become a lot more likable to the general public but Mm -hmm. i think people also just like seeing a a power five team fall in a new Year's six bowl that's that's a nice way for the the group of five team to become america's team oklahoma boise state back in the day of course very famous game even ucf auburn end of 2017 Mm -hmm. so maybe you're already on board with tulane as america's team sometimes it's also just nice to have that group of five team that you can root for they're not facing teams that you root for or against, unless it's a bowl game against USC They're they're kind of on their own path to relevance. You know what I mean? Which is different. Like Mm -hmm. it's a little bit easier to flip on a game when it's Tulane versus Memphis, as opposed to Penn state versus Auburn, you probably already have your opinions determined about Penn state and Auburn, but maybe not so much Tulane and Memphis plus This is a nice excuse to do something that I advocate for, which is that every American should spend at least one weekend in New Orleans. Have to. Oh, yes. Just two lane games Saturday, Bourbon Street Saturday night, Saints game on Sunday, or if they don't have a Saints game at home, just do a food tour in the French Quarter, spend a nice Sunday afternoon downtown New Orleans. That's a time, man. Tulane, as America's team, will force you person at home to go have yourself a time in New Orleans. Hey, man and you could watch the Pelicans
1: not play Brandon and Zion Williams. You could watch Zion sit on the bench. That would be a fun night for the family. Um, Yeah, no, I totally agree, man. And the biggest thing for, you talked about Willie Fritz, which I think I totally agree. I think he's already doing great things, but when he does decide at some point to leave, he's had so many opportunities. I think he's waiting for the perfect job, or maybe he's just super happy in New Orleans, which, you know, who could blame him? But my favorite thing about Tulane, for sure, is their branding. I think that their branding, as strong as it once was with the green wave, they've leaned so far into it. They're like a sickos branding team they came out with like that seafoam green color which is just complete like i don't even know what made them think of that but it looks so beautiful they're one of the prettiest looking teams when you watch them play because no one's ever going to match like
0: olive green with like a teal like that it looks so sick do we what's i need to know the official pants tone is it is it officially teal or is it sky blue is oh, this a good question because yeah. it might just look more teal because it's paired with the green you know what i mean Mm -hmm. So it's like your eyes are, are, are having this trick, but it it is aesthetically pleasing. I don't, I I can't really explain it. It's because so few teams have those colors and they always kind of stand out. And that logo is just like, I don't know why it just kind of works. It it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like it's simple, but it's, it's just clean. And it's like a fun combination of colors that um, yeah, a lot of people have decided that is the neutral team that they want to root for. So it might already be, America's team, Tulane, but um, Mm -hmm. I think they're very much in the conversation for this season. It is sky blue, by the way. It is not teal. Oh, okay. There you go, sky blue. Boom. How about that? Not a color expert, me. Definitely not color expert. We nailed that one. Okay, Uh, Washington. I am going to acknowledge that me having them in the playoff is definitely contributing to this. This is my list. (laughs) That is okay. Mm -hmm. I will try to make this argument sort of separate from the conversation that we had about them being one of my playoff teams for this season. I overlooked Washington for the, uh, when we had um, when we had Ari Washman on and we got talked talk just about a few teams, that would be really fun to be in the new NCAA video game, assuming it still gets played. Hopefully that gets figured out and the players can mm-hmm. get enough compensation for that. Um, but I overlooked Washington as one of those fun teams to be with 2023 rosters. Three reasons. You've got a team that can absolutely sling it. I mean, they throw mm-hmm. the ball all over the place. The One of the probably very overlooked, understandably so, overlooked things with, with the death of Mike Leach is that we've kind of got this open slot to fill for the Power 5 team who throws the football 45 to 50 times a game. Washington Mm -hmm. is that team. Like they have very quickly become that team. They led the nation in passing yards per game last year. Michael Penix is back with Ryan Grubb, who stayed at Washington instead of joining forces with Nick Saban and Alabama. Some would say that alone makes them super likable. Another reason they've got a lovely stadium to look at. It is Mm -hmm. beautiful aesthetics. Big part of this. Okay. This this is kind of a beauty contest. We're being hundred percent honest. Washington checks that box. Uh, when, when that place is rocking, it is a fantastic site built right on the water. There, more stadiums need to be built on the water. There's probably some sort of insurance liability that I'm overlooking here. It's just a person that likes being able to flip on my TV and see water next to a stadium, but make that more of a thing in the 2020s, build your stadiums next to water. Connor likes to look at that, but the best reason when they play, that's key. Pack 12 after dark. When your team has already played on a Saturday, there's a chance you can turn on Washington and watch them throw 50 times. And that allows you to maybe, I don't know, bet the live odds, maybe salvage all that money that you lost on games betting during the day. Washington is a perfect candidate for that. Remember, they're still under contract with ESPN this year, though the first three games that they play are all during the day. I don't know why that's the case that's just kind of that's that's sapping their
1: big pac 12 power wow
0: it is yeah i don't know if i like that very much that actually probably hurt them in the america's team conversation but they're probably still going to have a lot of those late night games and if you're the person that hates when kids leave early and go to the nfl you can be like hey this is an 11 win team and they didn't have a single guy drafted in the nfl they had a bunch of guys Mm -hmm. come back because they wanted this year to be special i think even if your cynical dad is turned off by the high-volume passing, which is a realistic possibility, again, not all teams on this list are blue-collar, but if your dad is even pissed off by that, I think you could tell him that stat about zero guys drafted, all of these guys wanted to run it back for another year. I think he can get on board with that. Fun for all ages. That's the Washington Huskies this year. Listen, they're gritty. They're student-athletes. What You know what is there not to love? Uh, Yeah, I'm going to... I'm going to
1: admit something to you. This is a safe space, Connor. um, I think that Washington's purple and gold looks cooler than LSU's. Whoa! Um, I think they have the right – they have that deep shade of purple, and they have that old old gold, like the Saints gold – And those colors, it's, like, made for TV. It's so visually appeasing. I think we've literally taken my top two visual teams here and them in Tulane. And I might honestly put them at number one. When you throw them on and they're playing, like, an Oregon late at night and you have, like, these jersey matchups that are, like, because that jersey can just breathe. That's the thing. That jersey doesn't clash with anything. They don't do too much to it. It's not like, you know, Michigan State or something where they're, like, trying to do too much. And I would say something else. You know, they're also a little bit of a comeback story. So – um, they had. Um, and I might butcher this. I think uh, the guy's name was Lake that took over for um, Jimmy Peterson. Lake. Yes, Jimmy. Lake. so, he took over for Peterson. You know they had like people forget that Washington was a little bit of a wagon with Peterson. You know they made um, they had Jake Browning. Um, they made the college football playoff. Obviously, that was the weird Lane Kiffin game or whatever. But they uh, they uh, they were a great team under Peterson, who waited forever to take the perfect job, leaving Boise State, and then Lake took over. He had like this whole scandal where he like couldn't control his temper. And so they kind of completely – they were going to do the continuity thing and kind of bring everybody back, and because of that scandal, they had to just flush out the whole coaching staff, start over. And they started with Kalen DeBoer, who is a guy that – we never see a guy like this anymore. It's very rare. You know, this is a guy from South Dakota who played at Sioux Falls – um, the real USF, some would argue. Uh, the uh, He played at Sioux Falls, and he just came out of nowhere. He's not from the Saban coaching tree. He's not from Georgia. He's not from Lane uh, Kiffin or like in Riley. He's like just this guy from Sioux Falls. And I think, you know, they obviously took a big gamble on him. He was two years at Fresno State. It was it rebuilt the team kind of and it took him to a second season. But it's really cool to see one of these stories work out because we see ADs get so scared, and they keep hiring the same coach over and over and over again. With different names, when you go outside and you go, look, this guy from Sioux Falls. We've already tried to win that way. We've already tried to do this different stuff. We're not going to do, you know, what Oregon did, and and <clears throat> kind of just get Dan Landing from Georgia, which good for them. He's a fine coach. But when you, you know, can you imagine Dan Landing beating Kirby Smart? No, you know what I am saying. I am not being mean, but that's that's the disciple of Kirby Smart. It's the same reason why all these guys couldn't beat Saban for so long. You get this dude from Sioux Falls. Nobody has idea uh, idea what he's going to do next, and so I love that.
0: Yeah, there's there's something to be said for that, and that becoming a little bit of a new trend with with coaching hires. And I think you look at someone like Chris Kleiman at Kansas State, who mm-hmm. ends up going ends up taking a very atypical route, going making that jump from from FCS to FBS, and that's something that we talked about a little bit with the Deion Sanders pod that we were, we were doing, and how there is now a little bit more of a space for that to, to see that kind of route. And it's not necessarily just about like, oh, you know, Lance Leipold's another guy who spent so, so mm-hmm. much time at Wisconsin Whitewater helping that program become this unbelievable force that just like never lost these games. It was essentially like what North Dakota State was, but at the Division three level. And like mm-hmm. these guys who have taken a little bit more of these roundabout ways to getting head coaching jobs. And it's something that we talked about about With a lot with Shane Beamer and with Sam Pittman of not necessarily having to go, oh, you need this natural progression to get to coordinator status at a power five place, and then then you are able to get this job. And hopefully, what a what a a Kalen DeBoer who was a coordinator, but obviously does have that different background, doesn't have necessarily that unbelievable prolific coaching tree. Hopefully, what some of these athletic directors can see is that you can have a variety of backgrounds and find Mm -hmm. a way to make it work. It's all about finding the best candidate. You don't have to check. A certain box to be a successful head coach because how many times have we seen that fail exactly okay let's go to somebody who has a little bit more of a typical typical rise as a head coach and i i was really skeptical about including this team in recent memory but wisconsin
2: Mm -hmm.
0: i have gone back and forth a lot on wisconsin Over the years, just in general, and I've played this game of ping pong in my head of like, well, you know, should they be should they be adapting in a different sort of way because of their surroundings and because you're not going to throw the ball 40 times a game in November in Madison, like all these different things that I've debated in my head, like what's maximizing the value of your program? What's not? But what I love is that they finally have their guy in Luke Fickle that can take them to that next level. Okay. Okay. I think in the past, you look at Wisconsin and you have a very specific vision of of who they are and what they have been. Basically, though, since Jonathan Taylor left for the NFL, They've been pretty bad. They've been pretty bad to watch. Didn't have a top 100 passing attack in the last three years. They didn't rank in the top half nationally in yards per attempt. Some of that was on Graham Mertz. Some of that was because Paul Chris didn't really believe in adapt or die. And I'm not just saying that because the guy wears $10 Walmart sweatshirt every bowl game. But there's (laughs) some of that with Wisconsin that was there with him. And it's part of the reason why – they ultimately had to go in a different direction, and you saw the fans respond. And when you see a half-empty Camp Randall, you're like, goodness, this is such a bad image. But Wisconsin finally, finally adapted. They were willing to do that. They went out. They they said, okay, we'll pay the eight-figure buyout for Paul Chris. We will then turn around and make the single best coaching hire of this cycle. We're going to get Luke Fickle. They could have easily said, let's keep it in-house. Let's go with Jim Leonard, a guy that both of us have been high on in the past. But they decide, nope, we're going to go and get one of the top 10 to 15. That's being conservative. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would say Luke Fickle's a top 10 coach in the sport. They're going to say, let's, let's go get him. Let's hire an offensive coordinator who runs a modern offense. That's the other caveat to this. Phil Longo bringing the air raid to Wisconsin is going to be one of those things that a casual college football fan will totally forget about or not realize until they're watching Wisconsin Northwestern at 11 a.m. And they're like, wait, Wisconsin is throwing the ball 35 to 40 times a game. What is going on here? This is what's gotten into these badgers. man! Unbelievable. I realize that might not appease everyone. And if Wisconsin struggles at any point this year, it'll be run the damn ball. They do still have Braylon Allen, who is one of the top backs in the country. So he might make people actually forget that Wisconsin has gone to the air raid at points because he could still end up being an all big 10 running back who runs for a billion yards. But with the air raid and with this transition that Wisconsin is going through a very significant one, there's going to be a lot of eyes on Tanner Mordecai. Tanner Mordecai is so old. How old is he, Will?
1: How old is Tanner Mordecai? Yeah. Um. Oh, gosh. I'm going to say 23, 24.
0: Yeah, he's 23. He's 23. Uh, he's so old that he was the backup to Kyler Murray at Oklahoma. Yeah. <laughs> like the true QB2 at Oklahoma. <laughs> In 2018. Isn't that crazy?
1: That's a good one. I like that one a lot.
0: Oh, man. Spent the last two years as SMU starter. So if you want to root for Wisconsin, you're not necessarily going to be watching some guy trying to figure things out of how to play the quarterback position. You get to watch kind of a veteran, which there's something to be said for that. Um, From Lincoln Riley to Rhett Lashley to Phil Longo, the Tanner Mordecai Uh, offensive mind run is pretty wild when you think about Mm -hmm. it most most aren't working with three offensive minds like that so if wisconsin actually becomes somewhat fun on offense which is a big if they've got some ingredients to be america's team it is an excellent but dated venue whenever someone asks me about my favorite stadium atmospheres i always include camp randall Jump Mm -hmm. around. If you haven't seen it in person, it is a bucket list activity. And even from the press box or you're not sure if you're going to collapse and die, it is still just quite the scene to be able to take in. America's team should also have something that I know you're a big fan of. America's team should have tremendous tailgating. I think that Mm -hmm. that should be that should have been a caveat that I led with. Wisconsin tremendous tailgating Madison's unique because it's not just a parking lot or a field where all the tailgating happens it's a long street where there's just a bunch of these one-offs and there's open bars and there's houses right there the smell of grilling and Miller Lite on a fall Saturday in Madison it's like an entire mile it, it is oh it is chef's kiss you can't beat it and on a mm-hmm. Saturday it's everyone's outside doesn't matter what the weather is speaking of weather a lot of debate on what football weather is. We might dig into that a little bit at SEC Media Days, just a little teaser for the people. Is football weather 60s and sunny, or is it 20s and snowing?
1: Mm -hmm. It depends on what type of offense you're running, really. I mean, Les Miles could have played in the snow and had a great time. I think that they're going to be rooting for a lot fewer of those snowy days with Phil Longo
0: here's why wisconsin's great though because Mm -hmm. if you're a person who believes football weather is 60 and sunny which i realize a lot of people listening to this podcast would bang the drum 60s and sunny you probably live somewhere warm Mm -hmm. but from the comfort of your own home you get to watch a snow game if you say wisconsin that's america's team Mm -hmm. if if you're one of the people like me who like you'd love to see a Southern team travel North for a first round playoff game, which I realize that's not for 2023. And this conversation is for 2023. Wisconsin is a great team to root for because in mid to late December, it's like 100% chance of snow just constantly. And think of who Wisconsin is hated by. It's Iowa. It's Minnesota, a little bit Nebraska, but that's more out of jealousy at this point, whether they admit it or not. They aren't hated by national fan bases because they don't compete for national titles. So I think Wisconsin is a good one. I think I Kentucky. think that's a good one. <laughs> okay, still so mad th- about that. <laughs> wait, wait. Can, you think Kentucky is still mad at Wisconsin for football reasons? That's the key. No, We're no, 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 Basketball, reasons. basketball. That's just yeah. That is just basketball because of the cat team. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, I, I that team I guess became a little bit hated with Sam Decker and. But uh, no, and, but and that's that's but... we're
1: kind of making the point here is that you could argue that like like those fans are the second or third maddest at them, which means they don't have anybody really mad at them.
0: True, yeah. Uh, the Ohio State fans are hating Wisconsin at this point. Yeah. No, I mean, yes, Minnesota fans, I think, definitely would. I think Iowa fans as well. But um, I don't think Wisconsin has enough hateability to it, at least going into this season with Luke Fickle. Any other teams that are in consideration for America's team? I just want to say real quick on that tip, and
1: again, look, like we're kind of, we're super aligned on this. It's interesting because when you look at the uh, Wisconsin thing, it's like you bring in Luke Fickle, who is like kind of head coach in waiting situation, in in uh, for Ohio State because he played there, and then you know he has yeah, brings in Marcus Freeman. Marcus Freeman gets the um, uh, name job. And like he's just like this Ohio State junior kind of guy. Right. And, you know, he brings in Mike Trestle, who's Jim Trestle's nephew. And it's like, oh, we're going to do just Ohio State junior. No worries. But then they bring in Phil Longo. And I'm glad that you hit on that because I remember working for SDS and like cutting out these Sam Houston State logos for Phil Longo when he got hired by Ole Miss. And being like, huh? Who's this guy? Very similar vibes to everyone we were just talking about. Atypical coaching path comes from you know out of the middle of nowhere, and he's been around. You know, like we've we've heard of what he's done. You know, at North Carolina, but I think that he kind of. Uh, it's like he's picked a couple of like not great stops so far. So the average person doesn't know how great of an offensive mind Phil Longo is. And it's it's not just wide open, but the concepts are really advanced. And I think that he's a guy that should get some shine. So just want to shout out to Luke Fickle for not doing the easy thing and just bringing in like, you know, Brian Hartline or like somebody random on offense. It's like, you know, we can keep this culture. Where I can keep my buddies while still going outside of the box. I think that's going to be a great marriage between the two.
0: I'm pretty sure Marler is still catfishing Phil Longo. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's that that one's deep, deep in the archives. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Phil Longo still thinks that Marlar was one of his recruits and he still DMs him pretty regularly and asks like what he's up to. And, and Marler just doesn't have the Marler just doesn't have the heart to tell him like coach. We, we we got our signals crossed somewhere along the line.
1: <laughs> That's how much of an average guy Phil Longo is. He's just like your dad, like DM with the wrong person on Twitter. Like, happy birthday.
0: Yep. If you want to just slide into Phil Longo's DMs and, and, and strike up a conversation with the, the coordinator of America's team, that is very much on the table for you. So just another reason mm-hmm. why Wisconsin can be in that. Uh, okay. So others. I had Oregon and Oregon State that I was considering. I think they're both interesting. You can make a good case. For either of them with on-the-rise coaches, you talked about Dan Lanning earlier, uh, also have the former five-star quarterbacks who were written off by their their first programs. I think Oregon probably opened the 2010s decade as America's team. Uh, that that mm-hmm. was pretty obvious uh, for a little while there. The uniforms, the offense, it was super fun. The fact that they really hadn't been that good historically, I think, added to some of the, the Chip Kelly case for America's team. But I left them out because... Their league, I I just think Washington has a few more likable traits, and there's another team that I'm going to get to in a minute here. Some might say Kentucky should be in the running for America's team. I don't necessarily have a problem with that, but I think Will Levis Levis became so polarizing last year. Mm And a lot of people watched Kentucky games last season and felt that he was getting too much love. And so in a weird way, Kentucky almost became this team that, that people on the outside like to root against because they didn't think that Levis was worth the draft hype. I realize yeah. it's, it's different with him gone, but I, I don't think you could be America's team. If your best asset is getting blasted every other play. So I'm a little bit more like wait and see mode kind of with that, with Kentucky though, obviously Liam Cohen is America's offensive coordinator, so of course. that's we're not having that debate today. That's over and done with. Mm-hmm. Will I have one more? One more. It's, good. it's my pick. It's my pick for America's team. Do you know? Do you know where I'm going with this one? Mm-mm. Utah is America's team.
1: Oh gosh, not again!
0: My beloved Utah <laughs> Utes are America's team because they check every single box. They are tough they are physical they are a blue collar team and if you don't believe that maybe you missed last year when they beat everyone's darling usc not once but twice Mm -hmm. that included a certain game where in caleb williams uh f utah nail polish became a hot topic and what did Mm -hmm. cam rising say afterwards when he was asked about it that's cute don't give a you know what hope he liked it Mm -hmm. if your dad could have Without without it being creepy, if your dad could have adopted Cam Rising after that, I think he would have. I think he would have mm-hmm. pulled the trigger. He said that he would have just called Cam Rising's son henceforth after that statement, after that type of game, beating that USC team in the Pac-12 championship. Or maybe he would have just wanted to adopt Cam Rising after watching him every single play. If you watch him play, you cannot dislike Cam Rising. He is that dude. It's why he had me picking them to make the playoff last year. I stand by that. I know there's questions about his health coming into this year. I'm not picking them to make the playoff this year because of their schedule. It is brutal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely brutal. You've got 11 power five games. You've got road games against three teams who won double digit games last year. Plus you start the season at home against Florida and then at Baylor. That is tough, tough sledding that Florida game. Thursday night game to open the season on ESPN. How many times do you watch Thursday night football, Will, and like Thursday night football in the NFL, and you just kind of hope that you've got a guy on your fantasy team playing just so that you can have some Mm -hmm. sort of rooting interest, right? Like this game, Thursday night game, boom. Utah's America's team, you've got a rooting interest. Plus, I think a lot of people don't like the SEC and think that the conference never wants to leave its region of the country. So I think a lot of people like to see Florida get bullied in the opener against Utah. And I realize that's just one game. One game doesn't make America's team, but Utah's big rival is BYU. Not a threat. Okay. Utah has seven top 25 finishes in the playoff era. Seven. Those were all between nine and 11 wins. So they win a lot, but they don't win so often that it's annoying. Kyle Whittingham a BYU grad actually is entering year 20 at Utah, 20 years at one program. It's still wild to think that urban successor at Utah is still in the same Go job. There. Yep. It's crazy to me. I have to remind myself of that very often. Don't forget those first six years that Whittingham had as the head coach at Utah, they were still in the mountain West. I don't know mm-hmm. how, how much we realize this, but programs usually struggle in league play when they make the jump to power five. There was a great tweet from Brett McMurphy about this as all of these, these teams are going to new conferences, right? We talked about that beginning on July 1st with the transition from those AAC teams into the big 12. And then we had teams that are joining the AAC and replacing that. There's a lot of talk about uh, moving up a step and what that looks like. There are 12 schools who have made the jump to Power 5 in the last 12 years. Only one of those schools has had a winning record in league play in more than half of those seasons. It's Utah. Eight of 12 years, they have been above 500 in conference play. Even TCU, a team that we often think of, wow, they made that transition look really easy. Only five of 11 seasons, they had a winning record in conference play since they made that jump to the Big 12. Nebraska, five of 12, and that's in the lowly Big 10 West. Mm A&M is three of 11, and I get it. It's the SEC. Whittingham could have left for bigger programs like Tennessee and USC. You talk about that with Willie Fritz. And I don't know how many options Willie Fritz legitimately have, but it feels like he's always in those conversations. So he probably had some at some point, but Whittingham could have legitimately left for Tennessee could have left for USC, but he's like, Nope, I'm going to leave. Why? What, what do I have to leave for? I have everything I want at Utah. I'm going to stay. I'm going to make it work. He never chased a paycheck. He just built, built, built. That's the American way right there. Utah is America's team for 2023. Did I talk you into that?
1: I feel like we're we need to have an intervention because I think you're on Utah's hook. I think, I think you saw – look, they've, they've tricked us again because I was so ready for Utah to just wipe up Utah, to even be – you know, just be mm. so ready. And then they lost to that horrendous Florida team and had them thinking legitimately they were a top 15 team because they just out-physicaled Utah. And obviously Utah turned it around. They beat USC twice. If there were three games that I needed or wanted Utah to win, it was those two against USC and probably Florida to start the year. But alas – you know, they went two and one and they won the two that mattered to them. So I guess that makes a lot of sense. But they're almost out of the playoffs discussion from the jump because we learned very quickly that Florida team was not good. So it was like, uh oh. So yeah, I think uh they're a fun team. I love rooting for them. I just feel like they burn me too often and I gotta get off the stuff.
0: <laughs> I'm not saying you gotta bet on them to win a national championship. I'm not saying you gotta bet on Cam Rising as your right. Heisman pick. I've already talked about how I don't really like Cam Rising in the Heisman conversation as much, especially after watching Utah closely a lot last year and the offense just isn't going to yield that type of season in this era of college football, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. But like, they just have so many likable traits. They just, Oh, I love them. That's the thing. I love
1: them. I want to root for them. And maybe about this, I'm going to put them on probation. I'm going to give them a little I'm going to put them in the doghouse. We can get through three or four weeks, you know what I'm saying? Where they're being responsible,
0: then I'll hop back on. And a beautiful stadium to look at. I didn't even, I didn't even get to that. That's 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 far off. Look, I get it. We were burned by Utah last year. They, your boy was eating some serious crow that first game, man. That first game, it was it was rough. I I had too much crow. Um, but I I just think that with what they bring back and what Kyle Whittingham has been able to build there, that is a a a team that you can easily get on board with, easily. And when they're inevitably playing in Rose Bowl again, and they're playing in Ohio State or Michigan or Penn State or whatever, like you're probably going to want to see Utah win that game. Like let's, let's be honest uh-huh. person at home listening to this. So I think they're very much in the conversation. I probably forgot some, some teams. Um, Let us know, get us, get after us on social media. Tell me I'm an idiot for forgetting somebody specific. Did you have one that came? Let me in one? throw
1: you two more real quick. Cause I think these go together really well. So. The, obviously, you know, we have a couple more years of Texas, or we have one more year, sorry, Texas, Oklahoma, and the Big 12. But what has remained, I, I can't say it enough, this new Big 12 is going to be uh, <laughs> open, wide open, is a nice way to say it. And I think there are two teams that are going to be fun to root for in that. Uh, I think Kansas State is one. We've talked about them mm. a little bit um uh, they have a boy klein you know heisman trophy finalist who could forget um who is you know calling some of the shots over there they have a non-traditional you know coaching path like you talked about they beat the out of an lsu team that seven scholarship players they they have showed up in big moments you know what i'm saying they also have some zoo so like i i think that they have been battle tested i think that they've been underrated uh by a lot of the stories coming out of the big 12 uh and then also similarly texas tech i think their turnaround has mm. been um really interesting i think the fact that like people don't want to talk about how cliff kingsbury has just never really been a good coach
0: (laughs) like i'll talk about
1: it yeah Yeah. and the the nfl stuff is so funny because nfl guys think college guys are so dumb and it's like you guys know cliff kingsbury is not a good head coach right like you you fundamentally understand that he could not with all that scheme and patrick mahomes even win a share of a big 12 division right and like people didn't want to hear it but you know he Left the program in kind of a bad shape. The following coach left them in even worse shape. And I think their turnaround last year, you know, they played Ole miss really well. Uh, they have this weird recruiting class coming that's like a billion three stars. That's like that, like they had to return around, like they had to turn around the whole program because everybody left. So, like their their numbers, like getting into the middle of the recruiting cycle, were stupid high because they had so many recruits coming and they have like a couple of four stars, but a lot of dudes like from Texas that are just like, Hey, come on, we need some bodies. So I'm really fascinated to see what their turnaround's gonna be over the next two or three years. So two really fun to root for teams
0: tyler shuck year 6 of his college career the texas tech quarterback <laughs> and he has there multiple years if he gets a medical hardship waiver he has multiple years of eligibility left to have a year 7 next year Let's that is go. the covid i love rate. it so much yeah okay so maybe maybe that should be in conversation like if your quarterback is is is, if at least he's my 23, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm rooting for him. If your quarterback can run a car, he's he's candidate for <laughs> America's team. I
1: love it, love it. He won't stop talking about FICO loans in the huddle. This is weird, man. Got, he's doing, doing his grass. Like.
0: I don't need to hear about his 401k, Like, just shut up, man. <laughs> save that for later. Goodness gracious, uh, save that for a little like bit while he was celebrating with the boys. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Love it. Okay. Uh, let's kick it to John. Uh, enjoyed getting to pay tribute to the late Ryan Mallett with uh, someone who knew him while he was at Arkansas. And obviously uh, John spent a lot of time talking about him and and watching him um, and, and, and having this, this very prolific two year stretch uh, with the Razorbacks. So here is John Neighbors. I'm now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is my guy, John Neighbors from the buzz in Little Rock. John, I think the news of Ryan Mallett's death was one of those things that made all all of us in the college football world kind of just take a step back. Um, and like I said, to, to start off the show, I mean, we were literally talking about him the day before, like the most recent episode of the pod. Like we had a two minute discussion about him talking about Joe Milton comps. And if Ryan Mallet's kind of the best one. Um, and you know, I, I think once the shock wears off of, of a tragedy, we can become a bit numb to someone's impact, especially someone like me. Like I didn't I didn't like grow up with it in the same way that you did. Um, and that's kind of how I started feeling. And then I watched what you had to say about him on Locked on, on your show. And I got it. Ryan Mallet picking Arkansas at a time when he could have transferred anywhere. And I realized like he's born there. So it's a little bit different, but not necessarily, you know, Arkansas through and through. Um, I, I think that meant a lot and I could see it based on the words that you were able to, to say the other day. Um, So for those who are maybe too young or just might not have been paying attention, why was Ryan Mallett different for you and different for Arkansas fans?
2: Well, you got to look at the history of Arkansas football, which they had a lot of great years from Frank Brolls, Lou Holtz, Ken Hatfield, you know, there were times where there were really good football teams, but, they never really had a, an outstanding quarterback. You know, I think that up until the point of when Petrino and Mallet came to Arkansas, you're talking about uh, Joe Ferguson, uh, you know, maybe Clint Sterner, just as far as a passing quarterback. Quinn Grovey was great, but he was very athletic. You just never really had that level of a quarterback. It was always great running backs and great offensive lines and solid defenses, but that was the one thing that was missing. And so when you not only hired Petrino, but you brought in Ryan Mallett, who coming out of high school was a five-star quarterback. I think he was the number two quarterback behind Jimmy Clawson that year, if you can remember that name. But yes. uh, it was just it, the stars aligned perfectly where you had a coach and Petrino who knew how to make quarterbacks elite, and then you had an elite-level quarterback in that system. And then also Arkansas just happened to have, three big-time wide receivers all come out of the state at the same time. You had Kobe Hamilton. You had running backs like Niall Davis, Dennis Johnson, Ronnie Witt. It Just everything formed perfectly together, and it was all looking at Ryan Mallett, I and mean, he's the one that was really – of course, Petrino was part of it, but just, just take Arkansas to that level where they made it to a Sugar Bowl. And back then in 2010, going to a BCS Bowl game was a huge deal, and Arkansas never really gotten close to one. And so for him to come in and to – have a 10 win season and to be in a BCS bowl game and to have the record shattered that he had and for him to be all about Arkansas was huge. But I played this clip actually on my radio show and I actually forgot about it too, but it was back when he decided to come back for his junior year. He was here in 09 and 2010. And it was funny because back then they had a press conference like to announce he was coming back and he just met with the media And one of the things he said, and I think it really just encompasses everything that Razorback fans felt about him, is that he said, I'm coming back to Arkansas because after I transferred from Michigan, this state embraced me, this institution embraced me, this team embraced me. And I feel like I would do a disservice to the state and to the fans if I only gave them one year. So I want to come back and I want to be the best player I can. And I'm just like, man, like you don't hear that anymore. So just all of that knowing how much he loved Arkansas, knowing how much he loved the Razorbacks, and being the first type of quarterback we've ever seen like that at Arkansas. It's just all of that came together at the right time for him back in the early 2010s.
0: I think, uh, you know, I, I go back to, to being at Indiana when they had their worst season in program history, 2008. It was my freshman year, 2008-2009 season. And then guys like Christian Watford and Cody Zeller and Victor Oladipo, like when they they commit to your program, when it sucks, it, it means so much more. Excuse the pun there, but like when you hear guys talk in the way that Ryan Mount would talk in his returning press conference and you hear them talk about wanting to build something special, like a lot of times it can kind of fall on deaf ears. And then when you actually see a guy that's able to fall through with it, it just kind of hits you differently. And pro sports can't get that because they're motivated by free agent contracts and stuff like that. And they can talk about, Oh, you know, I want to do it for the city, all those different things. It's like, all right, anybody can say that if you're making 10 million or $20 million a year, but it's just different. It feels more pure, and Ryan
2: Mallett was a great case of that. Did you remember that he almost went to Tennessee? I remember his uh, recruitment that he had, and and during those that time, you know, Mitch Mustang was at Arkansas, and yep. uh, you know there was the lot of drama surrounding that whole thing. And I know Ryan will say he would say that that was the reason, but I honestly, truly believe, just from you know what I've heard, is that it was also because it's not throwing shade at anybody, but Houston Nutt was not known for developing quarterbacks, and so. It's like it kind of. You know, I had to go somewhere else, but I did hear uh, Tennessee was definitely involved, and in, I guess that was also during time when Philip Fulmer was towards the end of his tenure there at Tennessee. Which you know how many great quarterbacks they had going through there, so it wouldn't surprise me at all. Do you remember where you were when he when he committed? That's that's a big time deal at a time when, and you
0: know, Matt Hayes wrote about this. Like, Mel was really the first big transfer quarterback in the SEC. If you think about it, like for all the things that Petrino is criticized of, and a lot of it is off the field related. Like, I'm not sure he gets. Enough credit for bringing in someone like that and really changing Arkansas's trajectory. You talk about with the Sugar Bowl, but like, do you remember where you were when you found that out? And then also, second part off of that, like, how different are the Petrino years if he doesn't get Ryan Mallon?
2: Oh, so that's almost scary to think about because, like, I, I remember where I was because, again, it was in December, I believe. And this was, of course, before social media really started taking off. So it was December of 08. And Arkansas just came off a five and seven season, but they ended beating LSU and Little Rock, so a little good, little good momentum going after Matrano's first year. And then there started being these rumors on message boards back in the day that uh, Ryan Mallett had has been seen on campus, and he was uh, seen, uh, and the people were saying, "Oh yeah, he's moving in, he's going to be transferring." And it was kind of like, okay, you know, like it's message board fodder. Who knows if it's true or not? And then it started really gaining some ground. And I remember. Uh, once I got wind of it I just kept you know hitting that refresh button just trying to see if there's any updates and then uh, I think the first time I really saw it or really thought it was real is I think a local news station I don't remember which station it was but they had reported it that Ryan Mallet was going to be transferring to Arkansas he's talked with coaches and uh he's coming in and it just blew my mind I'm like that's that's incredible that's incredible I I, I can't believe it I guess it was 07 too because he had to sit out a year but uh but still it was just I mean, you couldn't believe somebody of that magnitude was coming to Arkansas. It was similar to the feeling of like when Petrino came to Arkansas. Yes. You're Like, wait a minute. Like, hold on. The names getting thrown around were like Al Grobe and Tommy Tuberville And suddenly you get Bobby Petrino. It was a similar feeling to where like Petrino going there was great and everyone was excited. But when you started putting those pieces together and you started seeing it build and then throwing in Ryan Mallett, suddenly everyone's like, okay, this is real. This isn't just some, oh, we're hopeful. This is, a great coach, getting great players and getting a quarterback that literally could start at anywhere in the country. This is huge. So thanks Rich Rodriguez for taking that Michigan job because I'm sure that helped as well.
0: Oh God, it's a fascinating sliding doors moment. And everybody talks about the Alabama side, but you know, I, I go back to winning the breakup with Rich Rod. That's something that Ryan Mallet did. I wrote about that for, uh, for SDS like in the last 15 years it's one of the great examples of a quarterback who showed his former coach, "Hey, I did just fine. I didn't need you. I showed you I could succeed elsewhere." And you know, Rich Rod ends up getting Denard Robinson, 2010. But like, still, he's fired after three years. He's one of is maybe the worst coach in Michigan football history. Might have also been the death of like the the pigeonhole offense. Like Ryan Mallet shows up at Michigan and he's like. I'm not a fit in this. This guy wants Tate Forcier to be the starter. Like what are what are we doing here? This isn't I'm a pro style guy. I think there's a lot more flexibility now. Even Petrino himself has a lot of flexibility. How do you think Mallet's skill set would have translated with an even more pass heavy approach that we see in the sport now?
2: I mean, I still think it would have been there because it's I mean, the game is different now just because of how, you know, these you have these big time athletes that have now showed that they can translate into the NFL cuz I also felt like some guys May have been able to be a lot more athletic at times, but everyone's like, hey, that doesn't work in the NFL. So you got to focus on being pro style. And so at that time, they would have still, whoever it would have been or whatever system it would have been, it would have had to have fit what he's doing. It would have had to have been a pro style because, I mean, Ryan, he's not the fastest guy. Like he said, it was like uh,
0: a 5'3", 7'40. Oh, I think he ran. It was slow. <laughs>
2: yeah. And he's like, I am no Michael Vick. Like everyone knew that. And, you know, he didn't have. Escapability, you know exactly. Like he would not able to just get out of the pocket and then take one step. Like, it. but that's why I said how amazing it was is that it was literally just his arm and his decision making. Like that's all that it was. And so I think it still would have translated because I think talent will always transcend and always be uh, something that you know people will remember and be able to make make it work in whatever system. But uh, that that would have been weird because I don't think it comes to Arkansas. If Kendall Briles is the OC, you know, or, or uh, even uh, maybe Dan Enos, maybe because I think he's more leaning towards that. But, yeah, I think it's just a right time, right place, and, and a perfect position, because if you have a guy that can throw the ball 80 yards on his knees, uh, you're going to find a way to get the get him in the quarterback position and to be successful with it. What's your favorite mallet moment? Is it, uh, is it the Georgia comeback? Uh, I mean, that's a good one. Honestly, I think beating LSU to go to the Sugar Bowl in 2010 at the end of the year. And I think that, I mean, because there's there's so many to choose from from him, but I think that game overall was incredible, and people remember Kobe Hamilton, because he had those two 80-yard plus touchdown uh, passes, and a lot of that was Kobe, and towards the end of the half, and like that's played, but the play I'll always remember was, was when the game, they ended it, and it was fourth and three, Arkansas with the ball, I think they had a two-point lead at the time, still in doubt, uh, late in the game, I think it was either late third or early fourth, but. Uh you had a play call that it was very ballsy because they would have either tried to punt it normally or whatever. But the story goes, we didn't know it at the time, but the story goes is that Mount was expecting to go out there and maybe try to draw them off sides or go for a punt. And Petrino's like, Yeah, we're gonna run this play. We got it. And Mount was like, Are you serious? He's like, Yep, go. He's like, Okay. So they went out there, and what it was is that it was just a simple, you know, shot play that he gets the ball and he tosses it up to Joe Adams, who had actually burned a freshman Honey Badger and Tyran Matthew. But uh, like he just did a little quick jump and then burned him. And was again, it was a great play, but the legend goes of that play call. And I think that this is why it's my favorite moment more so than anything, is that Petrino had played LSU. They had played LSU the year before and lost. After that game, he created that play. He created that play with Mallett. He created that play with Joe Adams. And he's like, all it's going to take is that if we can get one-on-one with Joe against a freshman, he even said a freshman DB, he's like, we're going to run that play. And I guess it was either when Petrino saw what they were running out there or whatever it was, he's just like, we knew it. So the confidence that he had and, and the the precision that he had and the clutch moments that he had were, were so many. But that one to me was probably my favorite moment because that's what won the game. And that was the mentality that they all had where, as uh, Petrino said after the game, we didn't come to paint, we came to win. And they won the game and Arkansas got to go to their very first and only BCS bowl game.
0: That confidence, uh, you could just tell there are certain guys where even if you don't necessarily um have run-ins with him, and I shouldn't even say run-ins, but if if you're not, you know, necessarily sitting down and grabbing beers with a guy like you were able to do a couple of times with Ryan Mount, which I want to get to in a second here, you could just tell the confidence, like it's it's there. And he was one of those guys that just always came off that way. And I guess maybe some would say to a fault in the NFL and he trusts his arm a little bit too much. And maybe that's why, you know, he wasn't ultimately able to establish himself as like a franchise quarterback. But still, I think to get to that place is still really difficult. And I think he still did so much good in the sport and specifically at Arkansas. After the Georgia game, you were still at Arkansas, correct? That's in- right.
2: Yeah. How many beers did you guys share after that one? Uh, Well, it was more of a – it was like a great game because Arkansas had not beaten Georgia on the road and and the child's please play, as it's referred to in Arkansas, uh, got everyone hyped because that was the year where Arkansas was a preseason top 10, top 15 team. And they hadn't seen that in quite a long time. And when they had, it was in uh, Houston Nuts last year with McFadden. Like anytime they were preseason ranked under Houston Nut, it seemed like they always fell short and they always start off slow, maybe come back. So people were kind of like – maybe this is going to be the same thing when you go on the road and you beat Georgia in the way that they did. And then you have Bama coming to town the next day, the defending champs, number one team and the Heisman trophy winner and Mark Ingram. It suddenly turns from a celebration after beating Georgia, but then it goes into the hype machine to Alabama. So almost there wasn't even time for celebrating. It was almost like, okay, we got this. This is a real thing. We can start believing. Now let's focus on arguably the biggest game to come into Fayetteville uh, in their history. And I think that there just wasn't time for celebration. The focus just for even fans turned to Alabama. We are, we want that one. And unfortunately it didn't happen, but still the hype was real for that one. I, I Okay. Some beer pong was played. Some. Beer oh pong. yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, listen, it's, you're going to every win, you're going to, especially sec wins. You're going to have a good time in celebrating it no matter what. But uh man, that team though, that team under Petrino, he's a very militant guy. He kept them focused uh, during the season. There was no time for shenanigans. It was, you better be ready. And you better be, as soon as we get back, you better be preparing for the next game. It was very, very much a culture that he had built. And Ryan and others were just the same way as he was.
0: I was watching an old college game day segment. I think they had Ryan out reading some sort of um, like, it was like a self-help book or something like that to calm down, you know, to not be as emotional when, when he makes a mistake or stuff like that. And a lot of times you see some of that stuff and you're like, all right, like, how much is that really making a difference? I think with someone like him, you kind of look at the year two jump that he had as a starter and what he did that second year at Arkansas. And you're kind of like, OK, maybe this, there's actually something to be said for this. I'm trying to think if there are any like famous Ryan Mallett blow ups or anything like that that he had in college. And I I, I struggle to come up with any. I was, was curious if you have any that that like kind of came to mind that showed just that fiery personality that he had that ultimately he was able to kind of keep in check during that that second year that he was so good.
2: Yeah, in 2009, uh, that was before the self-help book and that segment came out. There were a few. And because it was just like, I mean, he was, because he felt comfortable, you know? Like, I think that that's where, because he was, you know, 20 years old and he was in a system now where he was the starter. He was playing for his school that he grew up watching and he had great wide receivers and a great offense. So when he would make a big play, I mean, it was just like, he was like, fine, you know, this is what I've been wanting my whole life. And with that came the energy. And I think the one that, gets referred to because I remember a few from oh nine. The OSU game that Arkansas actually lost. Fourth down in Baton Rouge, Mallet throws a touchdown to Joe Adams for Arkansas to take the lead. And he just goes sprinting down the sidelines and he throws his helmet off. He's going wild. And I thought it was always so funny. I wish there was a clip of this still to this day, but uh Aaron Andrews was actually the sideline reporter that day. And Arkansas ended up having it go to overtime because uh, the, the defense let uh, our, uh, LSU go down the field and also some questionable calls. And we'll get into that. But either way, Aaron Andrews was <laughs> reporting from the sidelines in overtime. And they were like, Yeah, so what's the side? You know, what's the sidelines right uh, after that game or after that big play by Mallet? And she's like, Yeah, Ryan just ran over and started yelling at me, saying, I told you, Aaron. I told you. I told you, Aaron. But I didn't know what he was trying to tell me because I hadn't talked to him. So it was just like, <laughs> That's what his mentality was. It's just like, I don't care who you are. I told you, even though I didn't talk to you, I told you. I told you that was going to happen. And so we would think it was that, like, against Mississippi State, he had one. Florida on the road where Arkansas got screwed in the worst game possible down in Gainesville against Tim Tebow. Uh, He kind of ran in a touchdown, and he kind of rolled up on the defense and started getting in their face a little bit and talking trash with a big smile. So he had some, you know, some swagger to him, but he had to tone it in and control it and channel it into a way that, was beneficial, and I think one of the best examples of him showing that was against Alabama in 2010, biggest game ever, and I put this highlight up where second play of the game, Ronnie Wingo wheel route is still the loudest moment in Razorback football stadium history. I don't care what anyone says, but if you watch that replay, anybody, like everybody, I was going nuts. We were all just like puking our brains out because we were just like blacking out. It was insane how loud and how crazy it was, and Mallet just calmly walks off the field. I'm like, that worked because I don't know anybody else that could hold it in. Nobody else on the team did, but Mallet did, and I think that's what showed that that self help thing really did help him. Let's spin it to today. You
0: have Ryan Mallett as your best quarterback in Arkansas history. KJ going to overtake that this year.
2: It would take a lot, you know. Uh, you know, Mallett was only here two years, and I think that it's it's tough because it's like he was the first one, you know, like he was the first quarterback to throw for over three thousand yards and thirty touchdowns, and have those that year. What it would take for me, and I love KJ, I'm the biggest KJ fan there is. I think what it would take for me, to for KJ to do that, is to be first-team All-SEC. I think that that would be definitely something, because Arkansas hasn't had a quarterback, I don't think, that's finished first-team All-SEC. They've had preseason picks, but I don't think one that's finished first-team All-SEC. Tyler Wilson? I think he was preseason, because I think in 2011 at least, I wanted to say they gave it to either Aaron Murray that year from Georgia. He might have been like second-team
0: he might've been second team and it was like split or something, but it's been more than 10 years that I know.
2: Right. Yeah. So even, even if that, that was true, like that's one, you know, one of 30 plus years. So I think it would have to be that and Arkansas would have to have a 10 win season. You know, I think that those two things would probably make me have to put KJ ahead of them just because, you know, playing in the sec at where it is now to, to accomplish something that hasn't been done. If at all in first team, all SEC and the success comes along with it on the field. I, I think that that would, that would be hard pressed not to start putting KJ as my number one quarterback of all time.
0: I led today's show talking about America's team. Last year, gave the title to Arkansas. I like to use all context to determine these things. I think it's kind of a year-to-year thing. You can update these things, and coaches change, and players change, and identities change overall. Make your pitch to me why Arkansas should keep that title as America's team after what was, I think we can all say, a disappointing season last year.
2: Yeah, it was disappointing. And I think it's still because it's it's Sam Pittman. I think it's what that culture and that personality that he has makes it America's team. You know, they were the darling that year in 2021 when they won nine games because they came out of nowhere. And Arkansas hadn't done that in forever. And, you know, they were a team that even in the games they lost, like they lost to Ole Miss that year by one point because they went forward on two for two to end the game and they didn't get it on the road. They lost by Bama by to Bama by a touchdown, uh, which hadn't happened in a long time. Uh, they lost to Auburn at home, which Auburn was not a good team and they should have won that, but just weird thing. So it's like that year, even in the games they lost, it was still uh negligible, except for the Georgia game, which you got smoked. But coming back and, and having that year that they did, I think Pittman learned a lot since he's still, you know, first year head, first time head coach and everything. I think he learned a lot. And he's like, Okay, we need to cut the fat off. We need to change this because I know what it looks like to have a championship. SEC caliber team this ain't it so I'm changing it and I think there's a lot of you have to pay a lot of respect to Pittman because he is a nice guy like you know he's loyal he doesn't want to you know rock the boat or upset anybody or change anybody's life and you know fire him or anything but it's like he knows it's like I don't do it they're gonna fire me so I think that there's a there's a very very good element and reason believing that hey this is this is going to work with him and I think that because of Sam Pittman, because of his personality and everything it's it's something that'll work out and he'll be pretty good to go for that
0: yeah i think arkansas is going to be in the conversation for america's team as long as sam Pittman's there that's unless we find out something wild about sam Pittman, which like knock on wood i can't see that coming based on the conversations that i've had uh, with him with people around him don't see that coming anytime soon you never know in college football but i think arkansas will be in the conversation uh for the foreseeable future uh john this has been great man really appreciate the time i'm sure we'll talk soon
2: Oh, yeah. Appreciate it, man. Absolutely. Anytime. What's my
1: destiny, Mom?
2: You're going to have to figure that out for
1: yourself. Life is a box of chocolates Forrest.
2: You never know what you're going to get.
0: Figure it out. We're talking Fourth of July horror stories. Yeah, I... Uh... I would guess that the majority of these that we're going to get to in the Saturday Down South podcast Facebook group, which you should totally join. I'm going to guess that the majority of them are related to fireworks. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have one related to fireworks, but I do have one horror story. I'll, I'll set the bar low and say it's 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 not that bad. It's not that bad. And you actually kind of forget that it's related to Fourth of July. Um, So when I was growing up. We always went to our local golf course for fireworks. That was standard 4th of July procedure. One of my favorite things that we did, a bunch of my buddies that, that I played baseball with, they would go, we'd get a big table at the the restaurant inside, like a really good restaurant inside. Um, mm-hmm. I'm convinced they had the best chicken fingers on planet earth, whatever. Yes, they were that good. They were so good. Okay. I don't know why it was the breading. They had the, the perfect honey mustard that went with it too. Oh, just getting hungry just thinking about it but it was a great night and i look forward to it one of the highlights of my summer every single year growing up so summer before leaving for college i think it was like you're kind of on your own at that point you're not really doing family things on on fourth of july i got i think probably like eight to ten of us to essentially recreate what i did as a kid growing up go to the same place uh where you set up your blankets outside by the golf course You go inside, you get dinner, you come back out, maybe throw the football around. You watch fireworks from the driving range, the whole thing. So we had a reservation. I think we sat there for probably about an hour with nothing more than silverware. That's it. It was bad. I think they maybe got us like three waters. (laughs) There was like enough water for people to maybe share, but not everybody had their own water. It was one of those deals. The worst service at a restaurant that I had ever seen. It was terrible. And we would always be told whenever we would ask for waters or to, like, I don't know, order food. Hey, we're going to get to you. We're just really slammed, which they were not Mm -hmm. denying that. It was a disaster. We left after about an hour, never even got the chance to order food. It was awkward because, and I know what people are thinking, like, if someone doesn't acknowledge you when you're at a restaurant, everybody's got that that mental timer, right? Of like, all right, if they don't acknowledge me 10 to 15 minutes, I'm just going to get up and walk out. No harm, no foul. Nobody was waiting on me. I'm not really going to worry about that. They're just clearly not in a place where they can service me. I might leave it negative review, but whatever. Go our separate ways. Mm-hmm. But we were staying for the fireworks. We we're staying yeah. after. So it was kind of like, well, we can either wait here and maybe get food eventually or we can go outside and and definitely not get food so like i just felt so bad because i had organized this i probably talked it up a little bit because i never had an issue with it before it was one of those things that was just like look family shows up family has a great time great food and i i just felt really bad i apologized profusely to my friends who were very cool about it they weren't like you know, saying, Connor, you suck. How could you ever bring us to to something this dysfunctional? But it was tough L to take. I think at that point in my life, when you're 18 or whatever, I think we ended up staying for the fireworks, grabbing Wendy's afterwards. So not the worst night in the world or anything like that. But definitely was the last time that I've tried to organize any sort of Fourth of July festivities, just taking a back seat. Ever since then. I'm like, maybe this is not the holiday that I'm meant to, to to throw together plans for. So not that bad of a horror story, but one of those that you'll always just kind of remember because the service was so bad.
1: Yeah, I. Uh, that's an underrated feeling of like despair as an adult is like when you pick the place for the big group and then it doesn't go as planned. Yeah. Like I've had that happen before, and you know, it's like it's awkward because even if everybody's cool, you still want to like kind of like apologize to everyone randomly and just like, hey, okay, I'm really sorry, even though you didn't do anything um yeah as far as our fourth of july stuff i'm just like learning that my mom is a pyromaniac i'm just coming to terms with it as i get
0: older learning and, uh, i feel like uh, you even... told me that like seven years ago
1: <laughs> well right but it's like as i get around other people that aren't used to what i do or what we do for the fourth of july every time they have the same reaction which is just like what and uh yeah, I'm actually really shocked that I didn't get like the JPP like blow off my hand treatment as a kid because like we are always living on the edge, We're always getting like the biggest fireworks. We're always like we've had them, we've loaded one in backwards one time and the thing exploded. We've had like I've stepped on a sparkler which was really rough. Um, there's a one really funny one I want to tell you. So during my mom literally told this story yesterday, so I'm not if she she's not gonna get mad if I tell the story. So uh, in like the mid 2000s, my mom kind of did like a fashion redo, and one of the things that she did. Um, was she had, like, a little fluffy hairpiece that she would put on, even okay. though she had hair, it would, like, add elevation to her hair or whatever. And she we joked about it. We called it, like, her, like, rat that she would put on her head. And one day, she was lighting a firework, and it had an exceptionally long fuse. And she had to, like, turn on a dime and take off. And when she did, her hairpiece was just left floating in the air. Oh, no. It was one of the funniest things, because she just goes... I looked at it and we just started laughing and we were like rolling around laughing. And it was like this fire was just going off in the background. Like I said, we could have been blown up so many times, Connor.
0: You, you, I feel like that was the exact answer I could have hoped for from you. You Mm -hmm. lived a much more adventurous childhood life when it came to Fourth of July stuff. Like you were the people who were going to whatever store and be like we loaded up on everything we got the garage full of stuff you got to take the picture in your garage with all your fireworks stacked up if you don't take the picture did you actually get the fireworks at all i don't know but were you the people who were also firing them off during the day on july 2nd or something
1: uh (laughs) not
0: during the day that's a yes that was a yes
1: (laughs) not during the day we'll do two or three we got i'm laughing because you're like yeah judy john got yelled at by our neighbors down here two days ago. (laughs) but again we have like a six acre yard in the middle of the swamp like i live like shrek down here so it's like bro like what do you want like it's not it's nowhere near you it's not loud so like it's just funny because like yeah we'll we'll do a couple days yeah
0: what's the the youngest age that one should be getting a sparkler of their own without supervision, because Lauren's horror story is that she got a sparkler when she was three and she mm. definitely got burned from it. It's like, yeah, three year old with a shiny object. What, what did you think was going to happen here? I was thinking to myself, like when would I have been comfortable as a kid with a sparkler in my hand? 16, 17. No, I'm kidding. Okay. <laughs> But Like not that far away from probably like eight or nine years old is one. I, I was thinking
1: about. like, depending on your maturity, like six to eight, somewhere in that range, but yeah, probably on the higher end.
0: Yeah. And Lauren, Lauren was probably mature as a three-year-old because she's mature for <laughs> She's always been mature for her age, but even that it's like, yeah, that they, they probably had that coming. Okay. Mm-hmm. Started on South podcast, Facebook group join. If you have not already, let's start with this one from Jared Hollowell. Jared says, so last year we had a family cookout and firework display. Of course, all the men want to fire off the fireworks. And my sister's new boyfriend decided to be Mr. Macho and fire off the first one. Oh God. He then proceeded to lay the tube on the rough grass and light the fuse. As it is about to launch into the sky, the tube falls over and the firework goes straight through the crowd, almost hitting my mother, and almost goes straight into the house. Needless to say, we didn't see the dude again.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and you're cut just like that, buddy. Pick up, clear your locker.
0: I, look, man, <laughs> there are a lot of ways to impress the family of a significant other. Mm-hmm. showing them your firework prowess feels like a very low upside steep downside move. That's just me. Maybe you feel differently if you're in that spot. I you t- you you got to take the back seat in that. There yep. th- for that exact reason. You will even if you would stuck it out, you would forever be known as that guy and people will be Ooh, a, little a little bit buff- on edge. <laughs> <laughs> right you almost blew up mom i mean they made a song about grandma getting run over by a reindeer can you imagine the guy who blows up his future mother-in-law with a firework Ugh. yep
1: no that's a relationship that's going to be like you know if they had stayed together he'd be 10 years in the future they'd be married and she'd be like you know on the phone with her mom complaining and he'd be like you know i didn't like that boy ever since he almost blew me up with a <laughs> with a roman candle so. she, right. she, she would be right. right
0: that's the thing you just gotta take your Ellen leave town buddy Chad McKee says out at a friend's, we were drunk one, uh, one time and they decided they wanted to, oh, one of them said he wanted to show off his car. I was the only one that didn't get in as they blew past us on the long dead end country road, flipped the car. No one was seriously hurt. Thank God friend. That was the most hurt. Uh, happened in front of his house, and his dad was an EMT rescue fire captain. Oh, that's good. We were like 22 at the time, so that was 20 years ago. Never got to the shooting off fireworks that night, obviously. That started off a string of every time I visited their house for the next year, his dad would get a bad call while I was there. Either a house fire, a child injury slash death, what, etc. cetera. Uh, mm-hmm. I thought he was going to ban me from the house. At that point, Chad, I think you just got to make the decision. I'm not going over there because bad things happen. I don't know, man. Like, that's kind of on you. That's, see, the baller move would be to like invite that
1: dad out to like a lunch one day or something and just kind of get him out of the house and be like, hey, you know, just want to, just want to touch base and make sure you're good, you know, and then that way you can prove that you're not cursed. Cause again, Every time you show up, there's some horrific injury. You might just have to take the L leave down as well. I don't know.
0: <laughs> sometimes when you experience trauma, it, it, it's going to do two things. It's either going to bond you. We talked about that a lot with with what was I thinking about how mm-hmm. when you're – sometimes when you're in your 20s, you're in your teens, whatever, and you go through some stuff with your tight friends, it's this unbreakable bond. And then other times there are people that you experience stuff like that with, and you're just like, yeah. I don't know if we're going to be friends moving forward. We're just going to kind of go our separate ways. I don't know why that happens, but I feel like that happens a lot more. As a, maybe if, if stuff happens to you like that as an adult, you kind of deviate from it. I don't know. Mm-hmm. That, ugh, Yikes, that is a bad run. Okay, Emery Picker says, A few years ago, my brother and his family were out of town, but told us we could have some people over at his house for the 4th. He had a pool and a hot tub and a TV outside by the grill. So it was great. We got something like $500 worth of fireworks. I don't even know what that goes for. Is $500 worth of fireworks? Is that a lot? Depends on how you spend it. Okay. At the end of the night, um, after many, many drinks, we decided that was the time to shoot off the fireworks. The problem is his driveway was a hill down to the house. The tube fell oh, over. Oh, no. <laughs> and and the, more, the mortar, is that how you say it? Mortar? Mortar? Yeah, mortar. I don't know why I'm pronouncing that so poorly. Uh, the mortar exploded under his wife's brand new car. Nothing happened to the car, but everyone there collectively pooped their pants and immediately sobered up. I got like two hours of sleep and had to be at work at 5 a.m. It could have been worse, but it could have been significantly better, too. Mm-hmm. Um, What is the, the space limit? I'm asking you because I, I legitimately don't know of... Mm-hmm nothing in the area like what's the radius you need to feel comfortable shooting off a firework of not not just a person because like obviously you set off the firework you run away or whatever but is it 100 feet that you want to be away from stuff is it 50 feet like because i feel like if you're doing that in a driveway man that is mm, you you know bad things are going to happen well i think he touched
1: on something really you know important which is that I'd say for us, it's probably around, you know, 50 to like 75, but the important thing is you need like level, level flat ground, like get a level. Mm-hmm. Cause like we had one literally the other day that was nine shots and the ninth shot tipped it over. And if it had 10 shots, we would have gotten blasted with it. You know what I'm saying? Because once you get that little 5% degree in elevation, once it starts shooting out of that side, it'll pitch over on that side. And then it's limitless. That's the thing is like the stuff that shoots up in the air, doesn't matter if you're 200 feet away. That's how you almost blow mama. It doesn't matter because it's going straight at you and it's designed to go a hundred feet up. So it's more about getting a flat surface and securing that. because if something goes sideways, it's like you're kind of cooked either
0: way, man. Yikes. Yeah. Uh, that just the downside of that is so significant for me. Zach mm-hmm. Woodhurst says, not necessarily a horror story, but shot Roman candles at each other with my pastor. Dude shot one yeah. into the top of my shoe, burning a small hole into my foot. That mark doesn't go away. I don't think that's that's a, a part of you. If it's going through your shoe, I can't imagine that's throw a band aid on it. We're good to go in a week. The human body does amazing things to heal. Mm-hmm. I don't think you're pushing through that one. I, I bet you Zach is still feeling that, still seeing that mark. Uh, how yeah. however many years later?
1: You've also destroyed your shoe there. And also, I just want to say the list of people I want to have a Roman candle or with my pastor is maybe at the very bottom. It's up there with like future mother-in-law.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because what, it's like, go ahead. what? What? Uh, what are? Are you going to come away from that saying that was a successful? roman candle war that we just had great job no it's it's gonna end when somebody (laughs) does something stupid right
1: literally and it's like hey like number one this guy is a figurehead in your community so if you hit him with a ribbon candle and blow him up you're going to be the talk of the town second he's got the word of God on his side he has no fear in his heart alright so he, he he's if he's got those dabbo vibes he's got you know he's wh- whipping side to side he's doing a little bit of a little bit of recklessness whereas you might be a little bit more grounded in your worldly presence in that it's going to really hurt when you get a firework stuck in your shoe he's not worried about that in that
0: moment <laughs> that pastor has said his prayers before. Hand. There's, Literally, he's prayed up, but You're not getting on his level when it comes to that. You're just not. Oh, that's the rotten. fireworks are bending around him. <laughs> you're like, oh, what? <laughs> Should have seen that one coming. Lauren Jefford says, A few years ago, neighbors were shooting off fireworks in the street and we were all outside watching in our lawn chairs. Fireworks tipped over and blew up right under a chair in front of me. I ducked and covered, but some neighborhood kiddos got holes in their t-shirts from it. Traumatic, very mm-hmm. traumatic. If you're one of the neighborhood kids and you get that hole in your t-shirt, does it become something that you brag about because you didn't get hurt, or does it scare you off from the experience and you say, "Ah, you know what? Maybe this just isn't for me." It's probably probably the former,
1: right? Yeah, I mean, well, if you just wait for it to become a vintage man, the world's your oyster.
0: That's a good point. Okay. Yeah, that's a story. It's it's a, it's a battle scar. It's going into a bar and saying, "I fell off my motorcycle and got this cut." You're going into summer camp. They are telling all the kids, "Yeah, I got this hole in my t-shirt because I got nearly blown up by a firework." All right. Yeah. Yep. That's that's what every kid's chasing pretty much.
1: It's like the Teddy Roosevelt story where he got shot and he like kept doing the uh, speech because it like hit. I think it was like his pocket Bible. It's like, yeah, look at me. I got hit by this firework and survived. I'm not scared.
0: Was that Teddy or was that McKinley?
1: uh mckinley just got shot
0: mckinley did get shot <laughs> i think that was just it a, was tally. yeah yeah <laughs> i
1: don't think mckinley lived a the tale
0: similar similar era a lot yeah a lot of assassination attempts whole mm-hmm. lot like late 18th century that would have no late yeah it's 19th century 19th that would have been late yeah, yeah late 19th century rough time early for presidents.
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah exactly yeah.
0: Michael Dark says, "Growing up, my uncle used to take my cousins and I to downtown Detroit for the fireworks on the Detroit River. I think every year there was a shooting in our vicinity.
1: Oh my gosh, that's not where this is going to go.
0: Okay, this is going to sound bad. This is going to sound really bad. I've said if there's ever a time for something like that to happen, it's while fireworks are going off. Nobody ever thinks that might have been a gunshot. It's yeah. during this time, during this week." And even a few days after the 4th of July, if you hear a bang like that, that's firework. It's firework. It's not a gunshot. It's no way. I'm actually surprised that that crime rates aren't even higher and that you don't hear of more cases like that. I guess he if saying that this happened every year. Obviously, Detroit was onto this thing and there was something to be said for it. But how many times have you wondered? I would love to see, the, again, uh, the stats when I die. I would love to know how many times gunshot versus firework. Oh, that was actually a gunshot. I don't think it's yeah, that the, high. I don't think it's zero.
1: That's the favorite, the favorite uh, game of like next door, right? Gunshots or fireworks. Yeah, but man, there was that really bad one for Fourth of July in uh, Chicago last year. Um, yeah, and I think yeah, I mean, because this stuff becomes more prevalent, we're just going to be more of like an overlap. Um, but yeah, I uh, I remember like last Fourth of July. Actually, that's what keyed me in on this. It was uh, I remember reading that news and just being like, you know awestruck and then uh getting it was at the new orleans airport and that was whenever um like there was that huge like recruiting flip from lsu and i was like this is the strangest fourth of july of all time like i'm sitting here reading like, like scary real world news and like recruiting news and i'm like not on a boat it was really weird because we did our stuff before like we did the weekend before and it was I'm mm-hmm. on like, monday last year but yeah that was a weird weird fourth of july last year for sure
0: yeah the the, the violence of a fourth of july is, is is not talked about very much but yeah apparently detroit big thing I'll tell you this this one, more positive note from Drew Page. Drew says, when I was 17, me and my friends were shooting off fireworks, obviously. One of them fell off the stand and flew directly onto the neighbor's roof and blew up. We ran inside and hoped we didn't burn the house down or have the the cops called on us. I feel like we need a little bit more context here. The, The thing that blew up was was just the firework but it blew up on the roof right so in theory a couple shingles here and there that's Mm -hmm. that's the damage probably discovering that the next day probably having someone walk out of their home and go was that a firework or was that gunshots um Mm -hmm. something hit our house at this point and we need to check that out but you got to be pretty fast to run in the house and not get the cop, cops called on you directly as a result of that. When you hit somebody else's house, that's mm. that that clock yeah, is like, mm, limited.
1: That's like an upgrade of like the throwing the baseball through the window thing, where it's like we just got to run because we might have just committed an act of terrorism.
0: Yeah, like once I, I remember growing up, one time uh, a friend uh, Aaron's frisbee throw just right through a, a neighbor's a neighbor's window, just shatter the crap out of it. You don't mm-hmm. think to run in that moment. At least I didn't. We we're all just like, well, this is going to suck now. This is going to take a million allowances to be able to pay this off. But at this, probably that was also because we we're in like fifth grade or sixth grade. So mm-hmm. a little bit more innocence back then. Um, okay. Let's end with some lad of the week. Want me to start? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Let's do this one from uh, Jake Rowe from on three. Uh, and I know on three is a competitor, but whatever. Don't care. Jake does great work covering Georgia. After the AJC's rather, um, let's just say it's an interesting decision to put the article that they had uh, up on a paywall uh, that involved sexual assault cases at Georgia that had a decent amount of editorializing in this AJC article, um, Jake reported the entire text message transcript in the police report involving Georgia defense alignment, Jamal Jarrett, who was a major subject of this AJC article that made the rounds last week on three has a paywall. This article was not blocked by a paywall did not have editorializing. It just had two separate police reports to show the details of the alleged sexual assault that took place during the recruiting visit. And Oh, when this guy was 16, this is what was happening, which look, I think there's a lot to be said about recruiting visits and not that all of them are the same. But if you actually read Jake's reporting of this, which is now a very public event, you can kind of make of it what you will, as opposed to this, the way that the AJC covered it. I'll just say that. And I'm not going to get into the graphic details of it. You can read the story for yourself. If you have an AJC subscription, you can go and do that on your own time. I'm not going to defend every decision that Kirby Smart has made, especially on an issue that sensitive. But- I do think that there's a frustration with journalism sometimes and the way that it's presented and the way that it's consumed. And it's something that I think about a lot. I thought on three did really solid reporting of fact other than, as opposed to trying to maybe connect dots and come up with a narrative and um, A lot of people like to dog beat reporters, and that's something that baffles me, especially when so many people in this business steal their information from beat reporters. They don't credit Mm -hmm. them, and then they act like they aren't a significant part of what they do. There are certain publications that do that way too much, and it pisses me off to no end. So I wanted to just shout out Jake here because – we shouldn't take for granted the reporters who actually have put in the work to build up sources and report on information like this. And they're not not—they're not speculating. They're not trying to connect dots. They're telling you, hey, this is what we know. This is what's being reported by us. And you can put your own name on it and you can let people make of it what you will. There probably needs to be a little bit more of that in journalism. And I say that as somebody in this business.
1: Yeah. And again, you know, not my place to speak on this at all but i feel like the ajc has done some kind of interesting things lately when it comes to the john carter stuff was <clears throat> covered you know that as well as the fatal accident that killed two other students and um then now this is a third thing that it seems to be just as bad if not worse so you gotta wonder like kind of what the where the editorial staff is going there because it seems like a lot of this is very what was it called um yellow journalism almost like i, I don't know what the term was but whenever it really, it's almost like you start with an angle and you try to fill it in Um, and so I think that like, I don't know, it's just, it's tough because, you know, people need to be informed on this stuff when it's, when it's something that's serious, you need to be able to draw your own conclusions. And if you're going to, to your point editorialize and then put it behind a paywall, you're completely eliminating the ability for an average reader to just be informed, like without getting, but without paying money, which is what journalism is not about. And then number two, without being able to form their own opinions. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. Um, so yeah to uh, transition off of that to a lighter, no, yeah, lighter to note yeah lighter note get us on a lighter note will yeah okay cool um so i actually realized that we didn't get to talk about lsu baseball winning an astro title at oh all yeah the last time the last time we did this it was like after that beatdown, and it came to and so i was you know not in the most uh trash talky of moods but i'm just gonna say um Glad of the week for this week. And last time it was Tommy Cruz, cause we were able to look at the or sorry, uh Tommy White because we were able to look at the Wake Forest series and everything. So i say Dylan Cruz, big shout out to him. You know, he was a guy that had a first round grade a lot of places coming out of high school. Um could have just gone pro and kind of gotten a big payday and, and just chased the dream that way. And he trusted um LSU's old baseball coach, man, uh, Paul And I think that that was uh you know, after watching him retire, uh and and you know, getting Jay Johnson in to kind of like take the helm there, it's like he had to put a lot of trust in and he could have been a diva and been like, okay, well, you know, I didn't sign up for this. So I'm kind of trapped here. Got to transfer. What am I going to do? But he just kind of personified, you know, what it is to be a college athlete, you know, to be a student athlete, to get better, to be a leader, to do all that different stuff. And so I think it was super cool to watch that team get select in game two and then come first you know give up a home run and like the first inning of that game and just completely shut down florida after that i think that's a level of like leadership and commitment that you know yeah you have Skeens, you have tommy white who are
0: transfers but
1: most of these guys are some cajuns you got dugas you got lots of lots of those type of guys you know what
0: i was gonna say i mean dylan cruz the pride of longwood florida let's not forget oh, yes.
1: and let's not forget both Cruz and Tommy White are from Florida because when you want to win a baseball title, you come to LSU no matter where you're from. And so point being, I think that uh, you know, it was really cool to watch those guys. Um, you know, follow their dreams and for it to be a happy ending for Cruz, who is a serious argument, I think, for, you know, Mount Rushmore, one of the greats of college baseball. But yeah, I think they've totally just revitalized the love of baseball in Baton Rouge, like I said, going around. And it's just super cool because you look at Alex box you look at, you know, the, the traditions that LSU had, and they had way too long between titles to be kind of like the Yankees of college baseball. So it's a really exciting time to be an LSU sports fan because, or Sorry, an SEC sports fan because the SEC has won four different teams and won the last four College World Series, so pretty
0: cool. Yeah, and think of uh, the big revenue sports, which I would say football, men's basketball, women's basketball, college baseball. The SEC has won eight of those 12 national championships over the last three school years, which is pretty crazy. Wow. Like Think that about this. a stat. LSU won two national championships this school year in a big revenue sport. One of those four big revenue sports in school years that have started in the 21st century. The big 10 has two, two, two titles in those four sports. Cause you can't even include the Flintstones of Michigan state that won the NCAA tournament in 2000. You can't even include that because the school year started in 1999. It's just Ohio state football. Like that's, that's what we're talking about here. That, that is wow so so bad yeah and meanwhile Mm -hmm. lsu just had two two in a year but um yeah the sec is dominating those big revenue sports not men's basketball so much but three of those four others it is it's pretty staggering and i broke down the numbers um shameless plug started on south.com you can see like all of that that whole breakdown and, and just how wild it is but lsu a big part of that and i don't know what the you know the capital one cup all those different things are i'm like if lsu doesn't win it what what (laughs) even is it tennessee
1: fans in my bitches like well actually we're leading the all sports championship it's like brother you have zero championships what are you talking about how are you winning the 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 most mid plus team championship yeah they got to look at those rankings i don't know
0: yeah i don't know how those break down i don't have the formula on that there needs to be a few more caveats in that if lsu's not winning it just saying Okay, uh, if you have not, leave us a five star review. Subscribe to this podcast. Follow us on Twitter at the SDS pod, at CJ Alguera, at Go So Hard. Join the Facebook group, hear your name right on air with Figuring App or Golden brush. Thanks, guys. Talk soon.